What's going on, guys? Giving you a heads up that we are going to try something new. Ever so often, we are going to take a sermon from one of our friends, or we're going to do a teaching that we have done, and we're going to post it on our podcast. And it's going to be called The Faithful Life Pulpit. Now, this is going to be the first installment that you're going to hear, and what it is, is it is a teaching on apologetics that I did for a youth group. So this is really a introduction to apologetics. Uh, it's Apologetics is something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. It's what actually drove me into the ministry. So this is an introduction to apologetics, and mainly uh, why I myself uh, prefer presuppositional apologetics as opposed to evidential apologetics. But as we progress through the Faithful Life pulpit, we're going to have different sermons from friends of ours that have given us permission to uh, to post their sermons and, and their messages. Uh, it's another way just we want to bless you guys. We want to continue to give you guys the word. And we think a great way to do that is by posting different teachings, and different sermons. So we hope that this blesses you. Argumentation. I'm not going to give you just bullets to fill in your gun so you can go uh, shoot holes in people's arguments. That's, that's not the point, okay? So what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you what apologetics is, what its purpose is, and um, uh, how to properly do it, okay? So uh, I've only got 30 minutes, so I can't really break down atheism, Mormonism, Islam, Jehovah's Witness. Uh, don't have enough time and to deal with all the little intricacies that, that go on there, okay? But uh, in this, really, you respond to all of them in the same way. So the first thing that I'm going to tell you is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, saying that, what I'm saying is this. Unless you start with God, you can't know anything at all. So keep that in mind as we move forward. So what is apologetics? From the Greek word apologia, it is the branch of theology that is concerned with defending Christian doctrine. So to simplify that, we will say apologetics is a reasoned defense of your faith. It is not the study of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Now, I'm a firm believer that Scripture teaches us, teaches every Christian that they are to be three things. The first thing we are to be is a theologian. Theology is simply the study of God. And if we are to be in relationship with God, then we must know who God is. We must know his character, his nature, what he does, what he expects of us. The only way we can know that is by his word and studying it. Now, we can read books about God, we can read books about the Bible, and those are good things. I encourage you to do that. But ultimately, our standard of what we know about God comes from His Word. I was sitting in a, a church service recently, not here, but uh, at another church, and the preacher actually said these words came out of his mouth. He said, I don't care if you can't find it in the Bible, I know what God showed me. And my first thought was, how do you begin to measure whether or not that was God? Because Satan does mask himself as an angel of light. So the second thing we're called to be is an evangelist. Matthew 28 says uh, the charge is that we are to go out into the world and make disciples. So as believers, you have an assignment. 
and this is your assignment. You have no choice but to accept it, okay? You have been entrusted with the message of the gospel of Christ, what he has done to buy back, purchase with his blood sinful people in order to join them back to the Father. Your mission is to take this message and tell others, all right? That's your mission. It's very simple. My job is to tell people about Jesus. I just deliver packages on the side, okay? My job, first and foremost, is to tell people about Jesus. That's the purpose of why we're here, all right? Third thing we're called to be goes hand in hand with number two, and that's an apologist. You are called to be a defender of the faith, Because when you go out and you're telling people about Jesus, you're going to encounter people of different worldviews. And guess what? They're not going to agree with you. They're going to argue with you and try to prove you wrong. But when you go out, you must be equipped. And apologetics equips you. It equips you by helping you know what you believe, understand why you believe it, and be able to communicate that to others. So what do we do? How do we do it? We're, we're telling people about Jesus. They're disagreeing. The conversation is beginning to take place. What do we do? There's three approaches we can take. The first method is what we call the Hulk and Loki method. All right? And we actually have a short clip of what this looks like. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by that. Now, we laugh because that's funny, but this is what you don't want to do, okay? You don't want to get so puffed up with knowledge, having your chest out, going and beating your opponent down because you can destroy their worldview, all right? And that's what you're going to do. You are going to destroy worldviews, all right? But if this is, is your goal to just gain knowledge and beat people down, you should not do apologetics, And in fact, I will be so bold as to say, if that is your goal and you are already, uh, you know people that you're, you're just destroying worldviews and you're beating them down and you're not telling them anything about Jesus, then your mouth needs to be silenced because you have a heart issue. So because you are beating people's worldviews down, if you act in that way, when they realize that their worldview has just crumbled. It's just been demolished. And it may be a month. It may be a year. They're not going to come to you to talk about it. And in fact, most of the time what happens with people who act this way, the people that they engage, if they're an atheist, they're going and trying to find peace in Mormonism. If they're a Mormon, they can't trust religion now, so they're going to find atheism. We have to... uh, Be conscious of how we respond and how we treat people. So uh, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 3.15, it will be up on the screen for those of you who don't have Bibles. This is the passage that people, when they want to engage in apologetics, this is where they go because this is the apologetic verse. But they often start in the wrong place, and then they don't finish the verse once they start it. They usually start here, always being prepared to make a defense. 
They start there and they stop there and they read that as their green light to go start a fight. When they hear that, they hear, let's get ready to rumble. But that's not where the verse starts and that's not where the verse ends. It starts, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. When we set Christ apart in our hearts as holy, whoever we are engaging with, we are going to view them as a person created in the image of God. And because they are created in the image of God, they are therefore worthy of dignity and respect when we communicate with them. God has dealt graciously and patiently with us, and we are to do the same with others. Second method is what we call evidential, evidential apologetics. This is presenting evidences to a person in order to prove your point. Uh, people who start in, at, at this place always being prepared, they always are quick to run to get Evidences, because they feel they have to have all these evidences. They feel they have to know microbiology. They have to know the complexities of the eye. They've got to know astronomy in order to communicate with people. And that's, that, that's a heavy load to bear. <clears throat> now, evidences are good, and God has given us these evidences. So you can use them. But use them as they come up in conversation, all right? Don't start with evidence. You never want to start there. And there's reasons we don't want to start there. If we start with evidence and we attempt to work back to God, we don't arrive at the God of the Bible. We arrive at a generic theism. That's the idea that there is a God. There is a creator. We don't arrive at the God or the creator. There's a, a famous apologist who I think, I think still lives in the Atlanta area. Uh, in his debates and his seminars, he will often say, I'm not arguing for the God of the Bible. I'm arguing for a generic theism. He will say, the interpretation of the evidence leads to the greater probability of a God. We do not serve a probable God. We serve the God. Because a God cannot save you, only the God can. This apologist also was in a debate years ago with a well-known atheist named Lawrence Krauss. In the cross-examination portion, Lawrence Krauss asked him, he said, do you know for certain that God exists? And he said, no. To which Lawrence Krauss said, thank you. Now, why did he say thank you? Because at that point, the debate over the existence of God right there is over. He just won. You cannot argue for Christianity by giving it up. Okay? Oftentimes, people either defend God wrong or they end up defending the wrong God. Second reason we don't start with evidences is where do you usually see evidence presented? Courtroom. That's right. Who do you give evidences to in a courtroom? The judge. When you come to the non-believer, and I'm using non-believer to, to talk about atheists, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, anyone who doesn't claim the God of the Bible, all right? 
When you give evidence to the non-believer, you elevate them to the position of judge, and you put the judge on trial. You do not have to play God's defense attorney in their blasphemous courtroom. And I highly recommend that you don't. That's not a good position to be in. Third position we don't start with, or third reason we don't start with evidence. Matthew 27. Jesus has just died. He's buried in the tomb. They place Roman guards outside the tomb. In Matthew 28, we see those guards going back and reporting what they saw at the resurrection. They had the greatest evidence you could have. They saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes, and it meant nothing to them. They were able to be bought off. But another reason we don't start with evidence is because everyone has what's called presuppositions. Now, that's a big word, but presuppositions is simply what you believe before you believe anything else, all right? Or we could call this a pre-belief. So I'll give you a simple example. If I were to say to you, the sky is red, and you tell me that is not true, there's a lot of things you're presupposing, but the most obvious is that you are pre-believing that there is something true about the sky and its color when you say that's not true. Everyone has presuppositions that they bring to the table, and these presuppositions are very powerful. Allow me to demonstrate just how powerful they are. There was a guy. He assumed that he was dead. He told his family, he said, I'm dead. They took him to a doctor. The doctor asked, why do, you, why do you think that you're dead? And he said, well, you know, I, just, I, I think I'm dead. Everything around me seems to indicate that I'm dead. So the doctor thinks, and he goes, what evidence can I give to this guy to prove that he's not dead? He said, I know. He asked the guy, he said, do dead men bleed? And the guy thought for a minute. He said, heart's not pumping, blood's not circulating. No, dead men don't bleed. Doctor took a needle, pricked the guy's finger, blood came out, and he said, what do you think of that? He looked at his finger and he said, huh, dead men do bleed. That's the power of a presupposition. So when you bring evidence to someone who has pre-beliefs about God, they're going to interpret that evidence based upon their pre-belief about God. Which brings me to my third approach in doing apologetics, and it's the one that I prefer, and that's what's called presuppositional apologetics. Everyone's going to try to get you to to, to push for evidence. They're going to say, what evidence do you have? What evidence do you have? But remember, they have a pre-belief. You have to redirect their mind back to their pre-belief. So where evidential apologetics starts with evidence and attempts to work back to God, presup starts with God in order to make sense of the reality that we live in. It starts with God as revealed in Scripture. And why do we start there? Because that's the God that we believe in, the God of the Bible. So I hear this all the time, and I usually hear it mostly from people who profess to be believers. They say something along the lines of, you can't use the Bible to prove God. And so if you may have heard that, and you may have that position, but let me demonstrate to you what that position actually looks like. 
you've got a robber, okay? He's doing his robber thing. He's going and sticking up people. He comes to a would-be victim, pulls his gun, and he says, give me your money. And the guy looks back at the robber, and he says, I don't believe in guns. Well, the robber's not going to holster his gun and attempt to give evidence as to why he should believe in guns. Because the problem at that point is not that the victim doesn't believe in guns, the robber doesn't believe in guns. Okay? So when you come up to someone and you're engaging with them and you say, that's not what the Bible says, and they say, I don't believe in your Bible. When you put your Bible away, it's not that they don't believe in the Bible. It's that you don't believe in the Bible. Christ is authoritative. Back to Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go. The reason we go is because all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Christ. The only reason we know about Christ is what he said in his word. Therefore, we never depart from it as our foundation. This goes back to uh, this verse, 1 Peter 3.15. If we honor Christ in our hearts as holy, we're going to treat him as though he is authoritative. Because he says he's authoritative. And that's the God that we believe in. Because we will come to church on Sundays. We'll come here on Wednesdays and we'll say, I believe in that God. That's the one God. That's the only God. He's authoritative. I submit my life to that. And then when we go out from here and we engage with our non-believing friends, we act as though he's not authoritative. You see, we, th- there are two worlds, okay? There's the world that God says we live in. And then there's the world that the world says we live in. The world says, I don't believe in the existence of God. In God's world, he says, they know he exists. They just suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So turn in your Bibles now to Romans 1. I probably should have had this already marked before I got up here. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. We're going to go through 21. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. To who? Those who suppress the truth the ungodly, and the unrighteous. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, unapologetus. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We do not have to prove the existence of God. God already says they know. They just suppress it. And we know that they know because they suppress it, because you can't suppress something that you don't already have. Now, this suppressing, it's like, it's like holding a beach ball underwater. Have any of you ever done that? Tried to hold a beach ball underwater, right? So the job of an apologist is really just to come and poke the arms, right? They're, just, they're holding it down, and you just come along and... Poke the arms. That, 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 that's all you're really doing. <clears throat> but these, the, the two worlds, we don't leave 
the one that God says we live in and enter into the non-believer's delusion and attempt to reason with them about God on their terms. We have to hold to our foundation. Now, you know, I'm sure you know, the uh, uh, Ephesians 6, the armor of God, right? And it talks about the sword of the spirit of truth, which is the word of God. In Ephesus, the, 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 their swords weren't used just for offensive weapons, right? It's a very hilly country. Google it sometime. Um, in battle, they would use it uh, as offensive weapons to strike people, to defend blows. But because it is a hilly uh, area, they would use their sword in climbing up mountains to anchor them in a fixed place on the mountain. So while this is our weapon, it is also our foundation and it is our anchor. We do not depart from it. So what do we do now? Bible says they know. They disagree. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What do we do? We continue to give them the gospel. We, can, we continue to reveal to them the Jesus that they already know exists. They're holding that beach ball, right? We're just continuing to poke the arms. That's all we're doing. And then that beach ball will pop up and hit them in the face. All right? But we, we rely on the gospel. Why? Because verse 16 of Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We rely on the gospel. You can have the greatest arguments in the world. You can come with all the evidences that, that you want. Go ahead and talk about the complexities of the eye for three hours. All right? But that's not going to save anyone. You will never change the hardened heart of a non-believer. Only the Spirit of God can do that through the proclamation of his gospel. And that's the main point. Apologetics is not about getting this head knowledge. It's not about beating people down with your uh, very great argumentation and wonderful evidences. It's a tool to get to the gospel. It's a tool to glorify and honor Jesus, who says he has all authority. So if you are a believer here tonight, and you've wanted to dabble in apologetics, uh, you were kind of excited because you thought, you know, that uh, you were going to get ammo for your gun to go, to go shoot people's arguments down. Uh, I hope that what, I, what I've said tonight kind of weighs heavy on you, okay? I, I hope you're thinking about how to do apologetics properly in a way that honors God. But if you are not a believer and you are in this room and you have questions about some of the things that I've talked about, pull me aside, pull one of the other leaders aside. We would love to talk to you about that. But know this, none of us who claim the name of Christ are righteous by our own doing. We all at one time were truth suppressors. We all at one time held that beach ball of truth underneath the water until someone kept giving us the gospel, poking our arms, and it came up and hit us in the face. Christ came to live the life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve. We were under the curse of the law, but Christ came and became a curse for us by hanging on the cross in our place. He was buried and resurrected on the third day. He has now ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in order for us to be in right relationship with God, you must 
Turn from your sin. That's repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your idols, the false gods that you have created for yourself, and believe on Christ and his work on the cross, and you will be saved. So let us pray. God, I thank you for this time that we have to show that we do not have to convince anyone of your existence. You have revealed yourself to every creature under the sun. And as we leave from here, let us never abandon Christ as our authority or your word as our foundation. Let us be bold when we speak, but let us do it with gentleness and respect, knowing that whoever we're talking to is someone that is created in the image of God. I ask that as we go to small groups that you would bless this time and that our conversations would be honoring and glorifying to you. And in this we pray.